0: What does an organist, limp noodles, and a financial crisis have in common? Episode 27 of the Booterverse. Hey everybody, welcome to the Booterverse. We have a special guest, organist John Linker is here with us today, and apparently he pulls out all the stops. We've got some great news stories for you, and Judy Scheinbaum answers John's questions all today on the Booterverse. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by elephants. Elephants, you know what they say about mammals with big ears? Now for news, in my orbit. This is a story you can only find in California. As a battle currently rages between San Francisco restaurant chains Fat Noodle and Chunky Noodle over trademark infringement, an unlikely new restaurateur has thrown her hat into the ring. Noodle acceptance activist Patty Myers says both companies should be ashamed. Those names imply the noodles aren't healthy, Myers says. Sure, a noodle may be thick, but this gives the impression that they are somehow disgusting and gross, like they'll just lay there in your bowl looking pale and slovenly. To combat what she sees as distasteful noodle attitudes, Myers is opening her own chain of noodle houses set to be called Big Beautiful Noodles. A hallmark of the restaurants will be the menu pictures, which will not be photoshopped. We need to see noodles in their natural glory, she says, and we're going to show them as they really are. Even celebrities have gotten into the fray by promising to eat only non-photoshopped noodles, and Gwyneth Paltrow is set to include a recipe in her next cookbook titled Noodles Are Better Than You, so just eat what I say. Critics are also chomping at the bit to review the restaurant, but chopsticks have made trying the food a bit difficult. As a final note, big beautiful noodles may not be for everyone, but you may actually find you like having a limp noodle in your mouth every now and again. What do you do when your nation is suffering from a little money trouble, when that pesky euro has got you down and it seems like it will never get better? Well, you hire a new governmental economist. And if you're Greece, you hire Yanis Varoukos. But unfortunately, even the staunchest supporters of the new leftist government are skeptical of the appointment of a former gaming software company employee to the position of finance minister. The Greek government is now having to defend their choice. We of course considered lots of candidates, a representative said, and people had all kinds of suggestions about how to make things economically better. Write off Greece's sovereign debt, issue GDP-based warrants to creditors, blah blah blah. Boring. What you actually want is a real joystick jockey on the job. And the plan Verifoukis proposed, he favors a three-pronged approach. Use state-of-the-art laser blasters to kill off the mutant space monkeys who are wrecking the economy, staff all banks with scantily clad women and elves, and send a special team of crack militia to locate a treasure he believes is hidden in a castle that might possibly be in either Liechtenstein or somewhere in the Bronx. The Greek government hopes that these measures will bring solvency to the country by 2020, And if this fails, the government plans to send all of their children out to mine for bitcoins. Still in European news, if you thought the John Kerry-Francis Hollande hug incident made for awkward international relations, take a trip to the UK. British Prime Minister David Cameron has reportedly gone into hiding after suffering the devastating blow of learning that his American bro, President Barack Obama, is following the wrong David Cameron on Twitter. Instead, he follows an internet gamer from Oregon who loves Star Trek, Legos, and tweets things like, Any Oregon friends who might be available to help unload a moving van tomorrow? Ugh, somebody make me food. And, I have two effing glasses of wine, and suddenly I have a case of the hiccups that is so bad, I'll probably pull a muscle. It seems that even to the non-politically astute eye, it would be obvious that this guy is not one of the leaders of the free world. And that's without noting that his profile picture is a still from Back to the Future Part 3. It's completely ridiculous even in the 90s, no one believed a train could go back in time. Obama reportedly has yet to reply to Cameron's desperate emails, texts, and phone calls. All the while, Cameron is apparently holed up in an upstairs closet in Number 10 Downing Street. His staff is passing cheese slices and fruit roll-ups under the door, and it is possible that he has not showered for a week. Here at the Booterverse, we feel sorry for the Prime Minister and hope he and his bestie Barack can clear up this misunderstanding. But honestly, who would you rather follow? someone whose last tweets were about sanitation policy in the U.S., or someone who just said, I just cried while watching the Muppet Christmas Carol. I think we all know the answer to that one. And that's been it for News in My Orbit. Today's episode of the Booterverse is brought to you by golf carts. Golf carts. Like most states, it's better without a governor. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Booterverse. I am sitting here with organist an aficionado of all things with pedals, stops, and pipes, John Linker. John, it's great to have you on the Booterverse. It is great to be here, Emory. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is such a pleasure. John, let's talk organs. What's your favorite organ?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't know. You mean just in this city, in the country,
0: in the world? In your body? It doesn't matter. It's up to you. <laughs>
1: right. Um, we're in this city, I have to say that my favorite organ, of course, is the uh, Golding and Wood, the Miller and Wrigley organ at Good Shepherd. We built uh, well almost two years ago now.
0: Was it built by the same people that built Wrigley Field?
1: <laughs> no, it was not built by those people, but because uh, there are some problems up
0: in there, <laughs> up in that uh, little place up there.
1: That's right, up in Chicago. There's always problems in Chicago,
0: right? Oh, you know, listen, I hear. City. I hear they love their mayor up there.
1: They, well, yeah, there's, I think it's a love hate relationship with that mayor. All, all the mayors of Chicago over the mm, years, yes. The
0: dailies. Have you ever played for the dailies?
1: I have not played for the dailies. I wish I had, but I have not. I've had many uh, interesting people in the audiences of, of, of times that I've uh, played services and concerts and weddings and various occasions but uh, un- unfortunately not the Dailies now.
0: Hmm.
1: Or Favorite? the Emmanuel family in the, for that matter.
0: So. Indi- well, yeah. uh, Rom, the, the lesser of the three brothers as they say. <laughs> right. But I love the good mayor of Chicago. Of course I do. And if his brother wants to be my representation in Hollywood please give me a call. <laughs> of course. I mean Ari's a lovely man or so they say. Now, John, the Wrigley and what was that organ again?
1: It is called the Miller and Wrigley Organ. It was built by Golding and Wood Organ Builders. It is their Opus 50. It's a beautiful instrument right at, at the Church of the Good Shepherd, right at Main Street and Bell Court.
0: Hmm, right at the Main Street and Bell Court. Now, why, what makes that instrument so special?
1: Well, it's a very eclectic instrument. It's able to uh, perform many uh, genres of organ literature very authentically. Uh, all the way from uh, from early early music, uh, French Baroque, all the way through uh, uh, modern music. Messiaen works very well on that organ, for instance. So anything that, that you can play, Couperin and Messiaen on the on the same instrument, and uh, to do it very authentically is uh, is a testament to the builder, to the to the to the uh, uh, the, the vision that was uh, incorporated in the design of the instrument. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a very uh, a very fine instrument, in my opinion.
0: When you're playing music from the French Baroque period, do you have to wear heels like uh, Louis the Fourteenth did.
1: No, but you you do have to actually wear a sword. I find that there's this there's this great uh, woodcut from uh, Dom Bedos, uh, one of the uh, early treatises on on French Baroque music, and it's showing how an organ works. And it has like a cutaway of the action of the organ, and the guy who's sitting at the console actually has yeah big heels, of course. But then he also has a sword. I thought, gosh, if I'm going to play Cooper, I must wear a
0: sword. Indeed. I mean, do you find that more organists should wear swords? Uh, because I on, have yeah. I have found that most organists likes, like to play with their swords. Oh, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, or other know. people's. Swords. I would
1: I would consider that an optional accessory. Mm. An optional accessory, mm. much like the bow tie. It's an optional accessory.
0: How do you feel about the bow tie, John? Because I think people know that I love the bow tie. How do you feel about the bow tie?
1: I love the bow tie as well. I was just telling Courtney earlier that I, uh, she, she asked if I wear bow ties very often. I said, I don't usually get to because I wear these vestments all the time, and you always have to wear uh, a straight tie with the vestment usually. And uh, so it's it's a nice opportunity to wear a bow tie in, in your honor, Emery.
2: Oh,
0: you are a gem. Let me tell you, people who would wear a bow tie just to be on the show, mm, keepers. <laughs> Now, where are you going? You're leaving this fair country on winds going to. Where are you off to?
1: Uh,
0: a country called New Zealand.
1: You may have heard of it. It's nowhere near here. It's nowhere near anywhere, actually. Uh, it's I guess its closest place is uh, Australia, but it's still quite a good far piece from Australia, as it were. Uh, We will be moving there uh, sometime in the near future. don't quite know when. We're still waiting on work visas to be sorted out. Uh, But I've been appointed director of music at Christchurch Cathedral in Christchurch, New Zealand. And it's a a huge honor to receive that appointment. And uh, uh, I can't wait to get started there.
0: Now, a little story about the cathedral. Where are they located at the moment?
1: They're located in a place called the Cardboard Cathedral at the moment. It's on Latimer Square. Uh, which is just a few blocks to the east of where where the ruined cathedral is. They had a a devastating earthquake, a couple of earthquakes, but the devastating one for the cathedral was in 2011, February 2011. And uh, while the cathedral is still standing, it's it's ruined to the point where uh, it's not salvageable. And uh, so one day they will rebuild, uh, and, I, and I, I look forward to being part of that process—the rebuilding of the cathedral uh, on Cathedral Square, uh, right in Santa City Christchurch. But at, at the moment, they're in a place called the Cardboard Cathedral.
0: So will they be getting you to lay brick?
1: No, I accompany music while people lay brick I think that's what happens A direct choir is while people lay bricks (laughs) Never
0: in the history of bricklaying Will such lovely music be played for the workers
1: Oh well, I don't know There have been many cathedrals built Over many,
0: many generations Yeah, but John, you won't be playing For those other people You'll be playing (laughs) for New Zealand
1: There's a first time for
0: everything, isn't there? Indeed Mm -hmm. there is Which is easier to play on the organ? The great... American nat- National Anthem, or the New Zealand National Anthem? Um, yeah,
1: it's a good question. I don't quite know what is easier to play. They're both a lot of fun to play. Um, I, I, I should say I have uh, an affection for both.
2: Look at you straddling the national divide like an Adonis.
0: He just wants his visa to go through, folks. Once that's done, he can spew all the venom he wants about whatever country he wants, but until then... He loves everybody. Speaking of loving everybody, I'm going to ask you, what organ do you hate?
1: What organ do I hate? I think um, there are certain uh, builders, who shall remain nameless, from the early to mid-20th century here in the United States that were reacting uh, to a, 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 a demand for rapid organ building in, in a lot of churches throughout the United States, but mainly rural areas, mainly uh, smaller churches, um, where a lot of attention to detail was simply not there at all. So the, what I call the crackerjack box organ, the type of organ that you didn't quite know exactly what you were going to get, but they were mostly these little trinkets uh, throughout the, the United States. There were certain builders that uh, it, it's really an unfortunate uh, period of organ building history. Um, but we've kind of we've come away from that now. Uh, artisan building has definitely become much more of the norm than it was in the in the middle part of the twentieth century. So, uh, kind of if you throw a dart at the map of the United States and you find any little place that had an organ installed somewhere between nineteen forty to nineteen sixty, chances are I won't
0: like that one too terribly much.
2: So what uh, if
0: you know? Many of the listeners may not have any experience with the organ. The fact that such a craft uh, niche is being experienced right now does that have to do with the fact that organ music simply isn't played on mass like it was you know decades ago mm, I
1: don't think that's the case because obviously the organ music is certainly alive and well um, there's a i mean organ music is organ music is really. To to churchgoers of today, many people throughout this country and and other countries around the world, uh, that's the only live music that they might hear during the week is on a Sunday morning in a church. Uh, but what
0: about the guitars, John? The guitars. There are, well, that's okay.
1: Point taken. That's live music as well, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, I don't think that that it's a uh, that there's in any way a dying uh, literature or a dying profession whatsoever because there's. Uh, there there are always places that that need organ music and need people to play the instrument and there are schools unfortunately there are fewer and fewer schools that are training up organists uh, these days uh, to the extent that they did in the past I mean there are certain organ programs throughout uh, illustrious uh, universities here in the United States that are folding their organ programs because of uh, administrative choices bad choices in my opinion Uh, Because there are still organs that need to be played. (laughs) So why on earth are you taking away organ programs in universities?
0: Well, I support organs being played, my organs being played. However people want to play an organ, I support that. And I want to go on record as saying the Buddhaverse supports the organ. And whatever we could do to support the organ arts, I'm all for it.
1: Well, I stand with you on that.
0: So what is the most important thing that one could do to support organ the organ or organists in this endeavor.
1: Mm, get young people involved immediately. So all of it, all of the piano teachers out there, for instance, anybody out there listening to this who's a, who's a piano teacher, and if you also happen to be an organist and you happen to have access to an organ, get your piano students to just simply sit at a bench one day. And uh, make some sounds on an organ. That's what turned me on as a as a as a young kid. Uh, when I was taking piano lessons, I saw this organ in the church. I said, "Hey, that looks like a lot of fun." And I didn't have any inhibitions to just uh, pop up there and make some noise on that. And I think just simply providing exposure to the instrument uh, for people at a young age to not only play the instrument but to have an appreciation for its literature, which is one of the reasons that, at at uh, Good Shepherd all these years we'd like to have. Uh, program notes in the Sunday bulletins also that went out in the newsletter uh, during the week to explain the music that was coming up so that so that it wasn't just people who were interested in organ music or organ buffs or or even church music buffs for that matter who uh, had access to this information but everybody uh, would be able to read up on what was happening and, and compare it from what happened the week before or what's coming up the week later
0: so does the organ primarily find its home within the church
1: it does today, yeah, there are still places uh that have town halls, for instance uh with uh, secular organ music uh that was much more of a of a popular genre i'd say in the, in the early twentieth century um uh but by and large m- yeah generally today we associate the the organ with uh with an ecclesiastical institution uh, that wasn't the case from the onset i mean the organ was a secular instrument when it was when it was first developed. And then it found its way into the church.
0: Hmm. What is the most fun part of the organ to push, pull, or in fact, touch?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Gosh, I don't know how to answer that. You would like to touch it all, thing. don't That's you, right. John? That's right. That's right. I mean, it's it's uh, everything about playing the organ for me uh, is uh, is exciting. Everything from from the sounding of the note to the release of the note. Oftentimes, people ask me what's the difference between playing the organ playing the piano for instance right and uh, with the piano, for instance, a lo- a lo- and I'm sure a lot of your listeners will play the piano. I know you play the piano some. A lot of people, uh, there are more pianists out there than organists. The emphasis of playing the piano is the sounding of the note, the initial sounding of the note, the, the hammer striking the string. It's percussive. It's percussive, yeah. It's just, piano is a string instrument and it's, and it's also a percussion instrument. So it's the initial sounding of the string that, that is the, is where lies the refinement in playing and exactly how and you get those strings to sound. And then mm, uh, the there's vib- the... the
0: Vibrations. De- mm.
1: Well, right. Uh, but it's the initial sounding of that vibration, right? And then they go away. They decay, like the harpsichord and the piano and uh, uh, uh guitar and, and any string instrument, obviously. With the organ, it's exactly the opposite. It's the release of the note. It's when the note ends, and that's where the uh refinement of playing comes in and and how open one would play or how how detached one could play or how legato, how smooth one could play. Uh, that's really the, the defining characteristic between playing the organ and playing the piano.
2: Mm.
0: How do you feel about the shamad?
1: The shamad, shamad, yeah, shamad is—it's an interesting word.
2: I love it. It's one of
0: my favorite top ten favorite words of all time. The <laughs> shamad.
1: Yeah, shamad usually refers to a set of uh, uh, of of trumpet. Uh, pipes on an organ that are horizontal. They're car and horns, folks. They sound kind of car like horns, right. car horns. In fact, I've known certain organ bu- organ builders to call it the Buick, uh, the Buick stop, <laughs> you know, the Buick horn, right? Uh, and the Shemot actually is, it's Spanish in origin. Uh, the uh, Spanish organs from uh, late Baroque had had uh, what they called Trumpeta Real, royal trumpets, and it was the organ builder, Aristide Carve cole who was uh, famous in, in Paris. He built a l- lot of wonderful instruments in Paris, his, his, uh, a- a- and throughout all oh, France, and, and the world for that matter. There, there is, His organs are, are all over the place. But he was uh, greatly influenced by the chamads, what we now call chamads, those trompeta real reales that were uh, in Spain. And uh, he incorporated that into French organs, and that sort of stuck with uh, American builders later on. So... It's not very common to find a set of horizontal trumpets, for instance, like we have at, uh, at Good Shepherd. We do have a Trumpet on chamade. We simply call it Festival Trumpet. That's the name of that particular uh, stop at Good Shepherd. Um, but that's because of the work of Cave and because of his uh, influence from Spanish organ building.
0: So what nationality likes their trumpets blown hardest? Hmm, It's a very good question.
1: Well, again, I, I I refer to the Spaniards because they've they've kind of did it first. So I they, knew it. They really uh, uh, carried on with that first. Um, as far as trumpet stops and high wind pressure, if that's what you're getting at,
0: I believe that's exactly what I'm I getting think at. That's what you're
1: getting at. Uh, obviously, the, as I mentioned, the French they they raised the wind pressure on their organs in the oh, uh, they like early it 20th hard. century, late late 1900s, early 20 early. Uh, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, is when they started raising wind pressures on, on reed stops. And again, it was Cave Cole who, 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 who started that, uh, that process. Uh, in England, uh, it's the tuba stop that always has the highest wind pressure. In fact, at, at Good Shepherd, we're quite fortunate to have uh, both a shamad and a tuba. And the tuba is actually, in fact, on, on uh, nine inches of wind pressure.
0: I always felt that people who played the tuba were overcompensating for something. Thoughts?
1: mmm now you might be confusing playing the tuba with an actual tuba stop which is a totally different thing altogether now a tuba uh, from the orchestral instrument, instrument of course is a uh, uh, a low brass instrument right we often think of the tuba as being you know the bottom of the of the uh, of the, brass on, uh, of the brass section of an orchestra or, or, or a wind band uh, um, on an organ that's a it's a unison pitch stop. It's an eight foot stop, just like you would see uh, the eight foot open diapason, or, or an eight foot festival trumpet, for instance. So it doesn't doesn't necessarily count uh, being a lower pitched uh, uh, instrument. And yes, I, I don't know. Does anybody compensate for anything by playing the tube on an organ? I don't know. It's, it simply is the loudest stop.
0: So you're saying that different stops have different lengths. Do certain stops get jealous of each other?
1: Gosh, I don't know. And You're if so, questions. how does how the piccolo talking? rank? <laughs> as long as it's a harmonic piccolo, it, it'll do just fine, I'm sure. Ah. Uh, I don't know if there's any jealousy between various uh, choirs of voices within the organ. I, 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 I leave that to them, and I just play the notes. You know? mm.
0: On that note, we will take a quick break, and we will be right back with organist John Linker. Buddha. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by Woodwick Candles. Woodwick Candles. When you want the sound of your house burning down at about the same price. Buddha! And we are back with organist and choir master, John Linker. John, we were talking about the voices of the organ, but people have voices too. How is directing a choir different than playing an organ?
1: Hmm. Well, you've got personalities human beings and personalities a acquire don't you and who With, has
0: the the best personality john
1: uh emory oh yes,
2: my yes. gosh you're yes, a gem
1: now emory saying this because we, we got to sing together for the past uh, oh how long a year year and a half
0: a there year abouts. of my life yeah. john under your direction <laughs> your vast sort of choral you know militant direction it was wonderful <laughs> we
1: had a good time i think we had a good time how is it different though um in some ways, well there's that old Sunday school song you learn in you know, organ pipes, and singers too must stand straight so the tone comes through. How does that go? A lot of and
0: straight people playing the organ, John
1: now, I'm not to comment on uh issues of sexuality and but uh everybody, all God's creatures got a place in the choir. Hallelujah, some sing low, yeah. some sing higher right mm. yeah, exactly exactly um how's it different though um I would say in some ways it's similar. In some ways, training up a choir is very much like uh, what my practice regiment would be like to learn new music. Now, when I sit down and learn new music, I've I got to look at every single note, and I've got to look at how all of the parts uh, interplay, uh, You know what, what the coordination is going to be between the hands and the feet. And in some ways, training up a choir is, is similar to that, you, and you have other elements to that. You've got, as I mentioned, personalities. You've got personalities in a group that you always need to incorporate into uh, how what what the overall musical effect is going to be, and and in some ways, I, I I I prefer that to playing the organ because it's it adds that personal element that only that only a team of people can bring to the table that one player simply can't do.
0: John, what part generally gives you the most trouble when directing?
1: Oh, like in the choir,
0: what it's part the altos, is the most <laughs> isn't it?
1: <laughs> Again, it all boils down to personalities, now, doesn't it? Every part uh, gives me equal trouble, I will say. I tell you what, whenever you're directing a choir, you absolutely must have very solid basses. If the basses don't sing in tune, the rest of the choir simply doesn't stand a chance. And it really does kind of go down to that. And then, of course, the the uh, the, the treble line, the soprano part, the uppermost part, uh, is the most exposed because it's the highest and generally the loudest it's what people hear when they're they're, they're hearing a choir, so that always really needs to be quite tight and then yes, you must uh, have altos and tenors who know how to harmonize and know exactly what they're doing in order to be in tune with those basses and to uh, accompany what a treble line is doing and you know, it's it's uh it's constant work
0: John, constant all work. I heard out of that was you like your sopranos tight. <laughs>
1: Uh, I like the sound to be cohesive. Ah, I see. I like see. the sound I, to be cohesive. I, I
0: completely misrepresented that in my mind. Right. Mm. So, John, when you were directing a choir, what kinds of music do you like that choir to sing? Or is the mark of a good choir that they could sing just about anything uh, adeptly?
1: Mm. Well, um... I like all of the music that they sing, and yes, it, all of it, can, it must be sung adeptly in order to be a good choir. But here's what the hallmark of a good choir is, how well and how in tune they can sing when singing softly. Any choir can get up there and shout and sing amazingly and you know have the large sound and be something incredible when they're really using a lot of what we call diaphragmatic activity, right? I mean, a lot of body in the sound. But when, a, when you try to have a choir sing very soft... And if they can still have that kind of shimmer and that kind of energy behind that sound and and still be in tune, that's the hallmark of a good choir. And, and it's a hallmark of a good sound.
0: So the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, they just belt out everything. Not a good choir?
1: No, they do a little bit of everything. They do. So they, they do belt out those bits. And I've heard them sing some shimmering pianissimos that will just send shivers on your spine.
0: Do you think it's the special underwear?
1: <laughs> it, it might be special Mormon underwear. That's entirely... I've not even factored that in. So. I
0: mean, That's because as possible. a tenor, you'd like that kind of support. <laughs> I would reckon so. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: I generally don't think too much about undergarments in in you know enhancing under undergarment enhancing uh, performance you know but uh, you know you, you never know it's entirely possible
0: well John something has to be happening under those robes there was a lot of things happening under
1: these of the robes but I don't need to know about it I mean you know
0: what's the nature of the cassock
1: the cassock yeah the cassock yeah.
0: as we say up north the cassock the cassock yeah the cassock of the course cassock. the cassock
1: you know sure oh for yeah, oh what right there you know how it goes <laughs> indeed
0: I do. Why do so many people look so bad in it?
1: Uh, gosh, I don't know. It might be just genetics. I I don't know what, to,
0: what but, to tell you. But a floor-length robe, isn't it like putting on your bathrobe and going to church or going to sing?
1: It sort of is, yeah. The cassock has its historical roots. It is the historical undergarment. It really is, yeah, the the, the cassock. And, and it depends. The color of the cassock generally reflects uh, w- what function you are So, it, like if you're a parish choir you might wear one color if you're a cathedral choir you might wear another color if you're a choir that's uh, by some kind of royal appointment uh, I know that there are choirs in England that wear certain colors because the Queen once said okay this choir will wear this color uh, so yeah the, the the color of the cassock is generally generally black for parish choirs and uh, and then over that we wear the surplus yeah.
0: Ah, the surplus, kind of the doily of church garments. Talk to me about that, John.
1: It was meant to keep you warm. Both the cassock and surplice kind of came about in medieval uh, England, of course, and, and and it's always cold there whenever. And these cathedrals aren't uh, aren't heated very well during the winter. Uh, and you know, back in medieval times, of course, they probably weren't heated at all, were no, really, there, apart from you know, various little coal fires in in a couple of corners. And uh, so yeah, the, the the surplus is to to sort of keep you warm on top of that. It's white. The surplus is always white because uh, white is sort of the color of uh, purity, of cleanliness, and so on. And so mm,
0: the surplus being white, John, is it racist?
1: <laughs> I don't think so. No, no more than than snow is racist.
0: Snow has some issues, John. <laughs> if you if you see what it does. Where does it affect? It doesn't affect the south, it affects the cold north. It's white, <laughs> it's sad, it's bitter cold. Yeah, there's there's no place
1: for racism in snow. There's no place for racism in the church. So John, you're just science.
0: not trying hard enough. <laughs> it's an easy leap if you want to make it. Nope. Nope. Even fine. a bicycle can be racist, John. Oh, you're not a bike made for two. Why do you hate relationships? Great question, I ask. <laughs> no one is asking the hard question, John. But thank goodness I'm here.
1: Well, why is a bike not made for three
0: in honor of the blessed Trinity? Now, John, because three's a company, <laughs> and it's also a crowd. Listen, John it was also Ritter, TV
1: di- show from the seventies. You know.
0: John Ritter died for a reason, John. <laughs> the Lord was not happy. <laughs> Two was all you needed, Suzanne Somers, and the dark-haired chick. John didn't need to be there. Fam. Gone. Well, that was a good show. You got to admit, that was a good show, though. And then the old guy, Mr. Mr. Roper. Roper. Mr. Roper. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. Mm. It's a great Always show. cantankerous. Oh, he was. He was. Do you find that there are a lot of Mr. Ropers in the church? Oh, you mean like in being cantankerous people? John, you may, in fact, ascertain what you wish from that statement.
1: Mm. Yes, there are Mr. Ropers in the church, and it's because, now, back to Three's Company, Mr. Roper owned that building, did he not? He He was the landlord, so he was the guy who oversaw how that building ran, right? And so he loved that building, and he was the most cantankerous guy because he loved that building. I find that the most cantankerous people in the church are the ones who love it the most. They are the Mr. Ropers of the church.
0: John, that might be the most beautiful thing I have ever heard. (laughs) It's getting deep in here, Emmerich. You
2: have stood
0: up for the most cantankerous of us all, and, sir, you should be applauded. That's because I'm one of them. (laughs) But you have admitted admitted it, John. See, that's the first step in correcting a problem. You have admitted that you have one, and now (laughs) you can move on. In fact, you're moving on to New Zealand.
1: Yes, 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 yes. So Perhaps you'll be cantankerous there as
0: well. Yeah. Perhaps you've taken the moving on a little too seriously. Oh, well, maybe. Have you subscribed to moveon.org, and that's what prompted you to go?
1: Uh,
0: no, no, no. I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying there's a lot in a name. Uh, yeah, but not in that one, no. Any favorite animals you're looking forward to riding in New Zealand, John?
1: Mm, they've got alpacas down there. They're alpacas, yeah. So I've never ridden an alpaca, so it's entirely possible I might like to do that, yeah.
0: What about Tasmanian devils? I mean, I know New Zealand isn't Tasmania, but like, do the devils, like, you know, go across the water to New Zealand?
1: Oh, uh, there are devils everywhere, Emery. Oh, indeed, there yeah, are, John. Yeah, I think there
0: are devils everywhere. Mostly um, in the details or under the sheets. <laughs> 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 General in the details, or d- in
1: Georgia, wherever that song goes, the devil, is, is the yeah.
0: devil did go down there, and uh, God right knows yeah. why.
1: Yeah, I don't know why either. I don't know why either. I mean, Atlanta's a nice city, but the rest of it, I don't. I don't quite. It's all a little bit sketchy to me.
0: They've got peaches, John. I don't. Oh, they do.
1: That's right, they do. They do have. And um, uh, B 52s were from there, weren't they? Yeah, that band. Do you know Georgia. the
0: five P's of Georgia, John?
1: The 5 Ps. Mm, yes, no I don't.
0: The 5 Ps are the Georgia exports. I know this because I am a knower of a lot of things that have absolutely no consequence to my life. What daily can I guess? Life.
1: Okay, peaches obviously. One. Pineapples, people. Oh no pineapples? Oh, I'm sorry. All right. All right, educate me then. Peaches,
0: pine, poultry, pecans or pecans is it called? or pecan. Mm-hmm. Do you like pecan pie? Pecan. Oh, I sure do. Sure do. I find it a bit rich. Oh, I love it. Plus, if I'm That's eating a right. pie, I don't want to have nuts with it either. You oh. don't say, oh, I want a thing with a side of nuts. I don't eat it, John. It's too rich. It's like a Vanderbilt. You can't eat those unless you're <laughs> Anderson Cooper and he's had enough.
1: Oh, you you don't know what you're missing out on. That and bourbon are like the best things.
0: Well, John, I think the Booterverse knows that the Booter does love his bourbon. Mostly because it starts with a B. That's right. Uh-huh. That's uh, uh, let, let's drink. Now, John, do you have a favorite kind of bourbon?
1: Mm, usually, the brown kind. Um, John,
0: the brown kind is all the kind. I believe you're right. Yeah, yeah. I see Pifinal. where you went there. I see. Yeah. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah,
1: I, I'm definitely a bourbon fan. Um, let's see. Uh, well, I've, I've got to obviously give props to the usual Woodford Reserve because that was one of the first bourbons that I sort of fell in love with was Woodford and, and all of the, the big ones like, uh, you know, makers, of course, you've got the, the house weller tonight, don't you? The well of the house. Yeah. That's, uh, th- th- those are some good bourbons. Um, I, I'm poor, so I like to, uh, drink Heaven Hill these days. But, uh. mm,
0: you're a servant of the church, John. Jesus never wanted you to be rich.
1: Yeah, clearly. So I'm, I'm living up to expectations, I believe. Yeah.
0: But he did want you to be well-dressed and you do wear a bow tie, and I appreciate that.
1: Well, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: John, at this point in the show, we give our guests the opportunity to ask me one question and then to say whatever they want to the listening audience. So, John, what question might you want to ask me?
1: A question for Emery Butterbaum. Hmm... Who was, now I think I might already know the answer to this, but I kind of want to hear you say this out loud. Who was the inspiration for you to return to choral music? And it might be somebody you have studied with. I want to hear all about, I want to hear all about your return to choral music and why you love choral music and who was influential to you.
0: Well, John, that's a very wonderful and personal question. So I don't mind saying it. There is not one person per se, but there are I would actually gather there are two people that have been very instrumental in my choral career. Uh, I love the choir music. I love singing in a choir, and I love being a part of that community. And as much as I am bombastic and ridiculous here on the show, I do enjoy like being part of a group. And one person uh, was actually a choral professor I had in College. Her name is Vicki Bell. That was the name I was expecting you to say. And she
1: is a gem. She is a gem. Her energy is infectious, isn't it? It is. And
0: she's one of the most lovely blondes I've ever met in my entire life.
1: She's one of the most lovely people I've ever met.
0: That is absolutely true. That is true story, John. I really, and this is honest to God, you know, my fingers to, you know, the the almighty, I have never met a more lovely person than Vicki Bell. It's true. genuine, yeah, yeah. But I will say your warmth and your welcoming nature also was inspirational in welcoming me back into the full and having me don the Cossack and the surplus.
1: Now, I, I, I wasn't looking for praise there. The question was not to, to G- have you say something nice about me, but I do appreciate that. John, Thank you're you moving much. halfway
0: around mm-hmm. the world. God knows <laughs> if you'll even get there. I'm going to say something nice. Well, it's what we correct. do. You're very kind. You're I don't kind. say a lot of nice things to a lot of people because there's not a lot of nice things to say about most people, but John, thank you.
1: Oh, well, you again, you're too kind, you're too kind. And, uh, well, and I was hoping you would mention Vicki Bell because uh, I think she's done so many great things for so many uh, people who, who have become uh, instrumental movers and shakers here in the music scene, and, uh, and, I, and I'm very uh, impressed with her work, and, and I appreciate your kind comments as
0: well. Well, John, the Booterverse waits for no man, there is a train coming. It's coming round the bend. And I don't know where it's going to take us. We may not be back here in town, but I will say I will always support choral music as long as I have breath and a voice that is lovely like caramel and a sweet bourbon. Oh, we're all ready to ride that glory train. Hallelujah. You better believe it. Now, John, you've already pontificated about the organ, about the choir. The floor is yours to continue talking about such topics or anything that you wish.
1: Mm. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, Yes, music is a good thing. Art is a good thing. All of these things uh, enrich the human soul, and that's what, uh, what I'm all about, is about not only enriching the human soul, but finding a greater presence through doing all of these things. So, uh, funding arts in the schools is a very important thing. So if anybody's listening to this podcast who who has any influence whatsoever in making arts happen in the school in a greater way than it already is happening, do that. Uh, if you have kids who are not yet involved in any kind of music, either it's a church choir or piano lessons or playing in the school band or, or anything, do that. You absolutely must do that because it's good for it's good for society, and they say that there are so many um, studies coming out that that indicate that that the brain functions in a different way from people uh, with kids who've had music from an early age, uh, and they become the, the much greater contributors to society later on. So that would be my parting thought: is is get kids involved with music from an early age, and I do think we're going to have a much better world for it. Mm.
0: You know what my parting thought is, John? Mm. Stop touching my organ stop. (laughs) And with that, we will be right back right after this. Today's episode of the Buddhaverse is brought to you by Bleach. Bleach. Because there's something that could make those tidy whities any whiter? And now it's time for the woman who has all the answers to your questions, Judy Scheinbaum. Judy, are you ready to take over?
2: Oh, Emery, it's so good to be here. Let me tell you, I am ready, and I hear we have a special guest in the studio to ask me some questions. Oh, my goodness, John Link, I have heard a lot about you from the Buddha Boy, and let me tell you something, you, sir, are a gem. Ask away.
1: No, Judy, you are the gem.
2: Oh, stop it, you! Oh, <laughs> you flatterer! You, you'll go places, I tell you that. You'll go places.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, Judy, it, again, it's a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate your hospitality and having me here. What's your greatest source of inspiration, especially growing up in New York? What, 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 what spoke to you as a child? Mm, great
2: question, John. Thank you so much. My inspiration—two words for you, Michael Bolton. <laughs>
1: And all of his hair, right? Oh my goodness.
2: Why do you think I have the perm that I do today? If I did not see his glowing, lovely, flowing locks, what would I do?
1: I will say you are well-coiffed.
2: Thank you, sir. You are a gem. And let me tell you what, I spend a lot of time with the hairdresser. Raul is a lovely man. He just zhuzhuzh it up to high heaven. I feel like I'm a skyscraper every day. Who needs the Sears Tower when you've got this?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. It's an odd name for a hairdresser from Wisconsin. Sears Tower. You're mentioning all the Chicago references, too. Have you been to Chicago, Judy?
2: Listen, I travel everywhere. People know I'm a world traveler, and by a world traveler, I watch the TV. <laughs> yes. Listen, John, what more do you need than your tube? I swear to heaven's sakes. Because I don't swear to God, because you know I'm Jewish and whatever. But seriously, what I do is I spin my little dreidel, have a little and I watch the television. Listen, that Anderson Cooper could take me anywhere. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't think he's interested. But, uh, now, tell me, what is your favorite Jewish prayer? I love Jewish oh, prayers. Oh, hello,
2: Jewish prayer. Well, you'll have to ask my rabbi. My favorite Jewish prayer has to do with a hot dog and a great little kanish. That's me.
1: <laughs> so, would you consider yourself a secular Jew?
2: I like to consider myself re-reformed. Re-reformed? That's right. I'm like on the other side of orthodox, but on the other side of reformed. It's very confusing, even <laughs> for me. I tried to explain it to one of my Christian friends, and basically I told them I was a Baptist that drank.
1: <laughs> okay, right, 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 right. Well, I I, I, I I, certainly know the type of Judaism. I, I, mm, I follow yes. you. I follow you. You're good, 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 good. Um, so do you have siblings?
2: I do. I have a brother who lives in Long Island. I think people know. Uh, his name is John, like yourself. And I will say, John is a lovely man. Um, you know, he owns a car, not dealership, more of a car emporium, really. And, uh, you know, he's a great guy. Always very nice to my daughter, Eliza. Always brings her a nice little, uh, you know, Christmas present, even though we don't, you know, celebrate. But whatever. It's the thought that counts.
1: For well, the Hanukkah present. Of course. I mean, well, no, we don't. Listen,
2: I mean, by the seventh day, you want to shoot yourself. So, you know, I mean, you can only light so many candles.
1: So how do you find Yom Kippur? Do you, uh, what, what, do you, what do you do on Yom Sweetheart, Kippur? Sweetheart,
2: if the Lord himself took all that I had to atone for, he would be a <laughs> scapegoat. What <laughs> I'm just doing is I'm sitting here on my chaise lounge. I'm eating some bonbons and I'm smoking a pack of palmouth. Oh, I oh. mean, I gave it up.
1: You gave it up for not Lent, but for <laughs> atonement.
2: Yes, I don't smoke anymore, John, because you don't. people. No, I do not, if, especially if my doctor or insurance company is listening. I do not smoke anymore.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear that, because it's quite bad for you, of course.
2: Listen, John, I know people keep saying that, but the nicotine coursing through your veins at 3 o'clock in the morning just does something to make you feel good. <laughs> but I've given it all up.
1: Right, right. Well, good for you. I'm quite proud of you for that.
2: Thank you. John, why do you sound like my rabbi right now? Do you know that I haven't quit? (laughs) Damn you, sir. Damn you. And you you dragged it out of me. I'm trying to quit. Okay? I'm trying.
1: Did I sound accusatory? I wasn't accusing of anything. John,
2: listen. Any man with a voice sounds accusatory.
1: No, 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 no. Not at all. Not at all. Never accusatory. Never accusatory.
2: You're like Eliza's father. The man would sell you a rug and then put you under it.
1: <laughs> so he was a rug undertaker, would you say? Then?
2: Listen, he had an emporium.
1: Oh, an emporium.
2: Right, right, right.
1: It's all semantics now, isn't it? Yeah.
2: John, I find that a lot of things are semantic. Especially because I'm Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> So John, it's time for your last question. What's it gonna be, sweetheart? Make it a good one.
1: Well, um, what's your goal? Now, you, you've, you, we all have a finite time on this earth now, don't we? What do you think is your, your raison d'etre? What is your reason for being? What, what, what's your goal? What, what, what mark do you want to leave on this earth, Judy?
2: Listen, John, I don't like raisins. I think people know that. But I will say this to you. If I was to leave a skid mark on the underwear of society, I must say it would be for my love of shih tzus. A lot of people don't know this, but I do some volunteer work out at the shih tzu rescue. And I will say that if you need to adopt a little you come to me and I will set you up. And that's what I'm doing for society. Helping little... Find a place to go.
1: Well, that's very noble, Judy. Very noble indeed.
2: Thank you, John. And let me tell you once more, you are my favorite little gem.
0: Mm,
1: Thank you very much, Judy.
2: No, thank you. And that's been it for the last Lung with Judy. I love you all. Bye-bye.
0: We'll be right back. Right after this. Here at the Booterverse, we want to send a special thanks to John Linker for being on the show. We'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Of course, we'd like to thank Courtney and Sonny, who help on the production side, and to Quadrants, who composed our theme song. If you haven't had enough of me here, I'm also everywhere on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle The Booter. And of course, we're also on Pinterest, because, you know, men should be on Pinterest? I know interstellar travel is a bit difficult, but the booterverse is only a click away.